0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito This
1: is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm Dave Walker, and on today's podcast, we're going to talk about the very first draft class under new general manager Terry Fontenot and head coach Arthur Smith. Joining me are two of the riders at the Fockehawk, Eric Robinson and Adnan Ikic. Eric, how you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well, man. Doing pretty well.
1: Excellent. And Adnan, how are you?
2: I'm also doing pretty well, D.W. Good to be here.
1: It's good to have you guys. Appreciate y'all jumping on. And of course... Uh, We're going to talk about this draft class, but before we do, I want to talk about maybe what we learned from this draft class, because, you know, as I mentioned, this is the first one under brand new GM Terry Fontenot, uh, under head coach Arthur Smith. Uh, So what are some of the themes that uh, we're taking away from this because obviously. You know these guys don't have a track record they are not like dimitrov where we you know we're pre- predicting a trade up in the first round, <laughs> even if they were at four we we still would have predicted the trade up um whether we think uh we learned about Fontenot and Smith in this draft class um oddman, I'll go to you here first what what are your takeaways from this draft class
2: They value athleticism they really value athleticism and on the alcoholic live day three special show that uh we had on sunday i can't count the number of times i've said the word ras or relative athletic score which is uh for those that don't know is a statistic that pretty much measures a prospects height and weight their physical tools versus what they did at the combine a number of workouts they did at the combine and it uh, pops out one uh, number out of 10, which pretty much translates to what their athleticism is. And on day three, especially, you had Drew Dahlman, who was in in the 99th percentile with a 9.9 RAS score. You had Taekwon Graham, who uh, graded out at a 9.68 RAS score, which was, I think, mm. fourth among all defensive linemen. Uh, Darren Hall was above an eight. Kyle Pitts, we already know is a freak of nature, um, (laughs) but everyone, uh, especially on day three, those early day three picks, I was popping out. I was looking at the, that RAS with wide eyes, just because I know that that is a strategy that the new Orleans saints have been employing the past few years, uh, Nick Underhill for the saints, uh, one of their really good journalists. He, uh, he discovered it, uh, And he wrote an article about how the Saints have targeted exclusively players with, I think, a 9.5 or above RAS score in the first round in the last few years. And some of those players have been considered to be reaches. But it shows just how valuable that statistic is for the New Orleans Saints, knowing that Terry Fontenot came from their scheme. It's definitely it's not a silver bullet like, uh, you know, some players, Jalen Mayfield, um, When he measures out as a guard, his RAS score is a 7.2, which is still very good, very solid. Uh, Adakombo Ogundeji, whose name I'm going to have to really work on pronouncing, is a below seven. Uh, But it's definitely something that I'll be looking out for in the next few years, especially on day three, seeing if, if there will be a trend behind getting some of these high athletic, high ceiling type players, but you know, right now it's everyone had a very, very solid RAS score in this entire draft class that they've taken. Everyone's at least around a six or above and everyone, but Frank Darby is around a 7.0 or above.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. Eric, uh, same question to you. When you look at this draft class, what is one of your main takeaways about the philosophy that Fontenot is bringing to the Falcons?
0: Um, you know, it's it's interesting you, you bring this question up because we, we mentioned it. We talked about this a little bit on day three and, and it's, it's something that I think fans should definitely take note of early on to help you at least approach these drafts under this new regime. Um, one thing for sure um, that I, I know, you know, just looking at the surface that they have an interest in the senior bowl, of course, because four of their nine mm-hmm. draft picks were from the senior bowl. Um, and you know, I, I'm not gonna definitely not gonna take the shine of Adnan. He brings up a very good component, which is the RAS score. A lot of fans are probably not familiar with it, um, but they probably will be over the next, you know, couple of <laughs> years because I'm pretty sure. Uh, We're going to talk about this a lot, but um, I I do agree with Adnan that that is a component that I think fans should definitely take a look at. Um, It it, it measures a lot, just like you mentioned, as far as the athleticism goes. Um, And it takes a lot of elements to put together to come up with a score such as that. Um, I think another thing, especially from the skill positions, or or the you know, maybe not necessarily the trenches, but you know, you look at the the skill position guys like Pitts, like Darby, you even go to the cornerback room, go to the secondary room, I think they're definitely going to place a lot of emphasis on playmaking ability. Um these guys that they picked, especially in the secondary, were Richie Grant, Darren Hall, they're known for their ball skills, they're known for their playmaking ability. These are not guys that you can just From the previous tenure, I don't think they really placed much of an emphasis on it, which is why there was a lack of turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's going to change now with these two guys. These guys are known, natural playmakers on the back end, um, and especially when, uh, again, the skill position players on offense with Pitts, even going to the undrafted free agency pool with Javion Hawkins. Um, and Frank Darby as well. These guys are known for huge plays. Hawkins had three plays last year of 70-yard touchdown runs or more. Um, And two years ago, Darby um, posted, I think he had about 900 yards on just 31 catches. I think he averaged like 20 yards of catch two years ago. So, again, these guys are known for their playmaking ability. I think that's another element that you're going to look at. I don't think they're going to be taking many projects as well like their previous regime players is going to need two years or so until we actually see something from them.
1: Interesting. Um, yeah. One of the main takeaways for me is competition and versatility. They are coming in and there's no position that's safe right now, especially on the offensive line. I think many of us going into this year figured, okay, you know, Hennessy, you know, his rookie year, he obviously was rough, but it was rough for most rookies in 2020 because of the pandemic and everything that, uh happened with the lack of camps the lack of uh, preseason games for these guys to sort of get their uh, their legs under them and we all sort of figured okay hennessy's probably the front runner i don't think we could say that uh you look at what the falcons did in this draft class i think it's pretty clear that everyone is uh on notice the uh hennessy is not assured a position uh, as a starter on this offensive line and some of that's to be expected but I, the the big thing is um, especially on the offensive line and the defensive line, uh, the versatility that they're also looking for as well. They, you know, Jalen Mayfield is being projected as both offensive tackle and, and really uh, will probably compete more for offensive guard uh, in his first year. Um, uh, Drew Dahlman, again, uh, interior uh, center guard, some, someone that they project could move around on the inside of the offensive line. And we heard that word a lot from Fontenot and Smith during the press conferences, versatility. And I think uh, especially for the guys that want to earn a spot on the, the active roster on Sundays, that is going to be critical. Uh, they're going to want guys that can fill multiple roles. And this draft class is sort of the, uh, the first step in that direction. So with that, let's talk about the players that the Falcons grabbed. Obviously, this draft class went uh, a little bit different, I think, than many fans were thinking. Obviously, the the first three picks of the class uh, were all quarterbacks. Uh, The only surprise, maybe remotely, is uh, the fact that Mac Jones did not go number three to San Francisco. Uh, the 49ers did indeed take uh, Trey Lance, who many people I, thought was... I was
0: definitely wondering if they were still going to go that route or not. Like, yeah. I, I really was. While they were on the clock, I was, I was questioning that.
1: I tell you, we, we were having debates in our own yeah. chat about that, yeah. about whether Kyle Shanahan was that crazy. Um, and, uh, he was just having
2: fun with it the entire time.
1: He was never probably was. That is NFL draft smoke for you. Um, But the Falcons, instead of making it four straight quarterbacks, they stayed at four and they took the top non-quarterback prospect on the board. Um, Arguably the one of the most athletic prospects to come out uh, at this position in NFL history, at least if you look at what he has done in college and his measurables. Of course, we were talking about tight end Kyle Pitts out of the university of Florida. So Eric, I'm going to go to you here first. Uh, You and I have, uh, we've, as all of the writers did at the Fuckaholic, we went back and forth, talked about going quarterback versus going, uh, you know, with with Kyle Pitts versus trying to trade back, um, and it looks like they went this option. They're they're sort of doubling down on uh, the idea that you know they can compete immediately with Matt Ryan at quarterback. So, what are your thoughts on Kyle Pitts, how he fits in, and what you what you like or don't like about him?
0: uh for the past few months um I I think those who follow me frequently on Twitter they know that I was never truly um an individual that wanted them to take a quarterback but I've always felt that they possibly were going to go that route that it was it was an actual possibility there were some Mm -hmm. fans who just couldn't swallow that pill for some odd reason but this team was really interested in taking a guy if he was there um Possibly Trey Lance. If he was there, I think that decision, you know, definitely would have came um, it, it really would have came down to to those two guys. But mm-hmm. I can't be upset about Kyle Pitts. It, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> hard to say, man, they didn't go quarterback. They failed. They took arguably the best player in the draft on the board for for some teams. How can you complain about that? It, it, it's this guy is a freak of nature. 6'6", 240, runs a 4'4", should have been a 4'3", but he didn't run in a straight line in his 40. And if he did, it would have been even more impressive. Um, <laughs> this kid is, again, man, I, 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 I don't know if the casual fan is going to understand what he's going to do just being on the field, not even throwing passes his way, just him being in uniform on the field Yep. It's going to scare defenses. It's going to, it's going to create a lot more one-on-ones for Julio. It's going to create yeah. a lot more one-on-ones for Calvin Ridley. It's going to create some run lanes for Mike Davis. It's even going to have the fourth or fifth best defender on defense covering a guy like Hayden Hurst, who also runs a full-four at tight end. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's going to create matchup issues. Probably going to have some poor linebacker trying to cover Russell Gage in a slot. The fact that he's on the field is going to open up this offense. You add in the element of a creative play caller like Arthur Smith and get ready, get ready, fans, because every Sunday it's going to be a hell of a game. I I, I promise you. They're (laughs) going to put up points. Now, whether they slow down teams, I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) But they'll be damn sure entertaining on offense.
1: Oh, I cannot wait. Adnan, your thoughts on Kyle Pitts?
2: Well, not only is it everything that Eric said regarding uh, just how physically incredible he is, but just to add to that, uh, he his wingspan measured in at 83 and yes. three-eighths, uh, which is longer than any wide receiver or tight end in the NFL over the last 20 years. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. Yeah, the second law, uh, the previous longest was DK Metcalf, uh, and this is a statistic from CBS Sports, and his was eighty-two inches, eighty-two and seven eighths inches. So uh, he got him beat by about uh, half, half an inch or so. And, but and he's about as big as DK Metcalf, right? No, absolutely same size, yeah. right? Well, okay, yeah, same size, and uh, like you said, should have run a four three forty, like. Kyle Pitts is the type of dude where if you dropped him into Salem in the 18th century, he'd be burned at the stake for for being a witch. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh. He, he is he is an absolute unicorn. Uh, he he should not a player should not be able to move that quickly at his size. Uh, you know the name that gets thrown around is Calvin Johnson, and I'm not ready to coronate him as the next Calvin Johnson. Right. But, You know, you can definitely, the comparisons pop off, you know, when you see it on film, you can definitely see the comparison. He moves with such, one thing that really caught my eye uh, in the SEC at Florida last year, just how fluid his movements are, especially Mm -hmm. at that size, especially at that speed. And I mean, he was all production. He didn't drop a single pass last year, despite taking passes from Kyle Trask, who, you know, in all (laughs) honesty, I don't think is a very good quarterback uh he got kyle trask he's the reason kyle trask went in the second round yeah. if if kyle pitts wasn't on that team kyle trask i think goes probably undrafted and maybe maybe that's an exaggeration but he definitely doesn't go as high as the second round no he's he's hitting the canada right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> but nice he, kyle pitts uh like eric said it's going to be a show i also was uh On-team quarterback, I wanted the Falcons to shore up the future, but you really can't get mad at drafting a unicorn-type prospect who is the best tight end prospect I've ever seen coming out of college. And the matchup nightmares are going to be real because I guarantee you every single defensive coordinator in the NFC South absolutely shuddered after the Falcons made that selection because now you have to guard Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts. Uh, Arthur Smith is going to be able to move him around anywhere. Uh, Kyle Pitts is going to line up in the slot as a slot receiver for a number of plays. Uh, he'll move Julio Jones on the inside to exploit some matchups. It's not going to be like Dirk Cutter where it's just going to be the same, uh, the same thing, bat, uh, pounding your head against, against the table, playing in and play out. It's going to be very creative. Uh, Arthur Smith is incredibly analytical. It's going to be a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of play action and he is going to exploit the matchups and Matt Ryan I don't think anyone is happier than Matt Ryan was at the end of uh draft night on on night 1 in the NFL. I think yeah. Matt Ryan was smiling from here to here.
1: Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Um uh, everything you guys said and more. I honestly I had fallen in love with the idea of Kyle Pitts being the guy uh instead of a quarterback uh a few weeks back and, and for this reason In three, four years, let's say four years from now, uh, you ride Matt Ryan out, you you add an extra year or two to his contract, um, and in four years, you you then move on to your next quarterback. Let's say it's a developmental guy or you somehow get one of those top guys in the draft. Kyle Pitts is 20 years old right now. You will be handing that rookie quarterback, at that point, a veteran 24, 25-year-old tight end, um, who will help ease him into the league. Talk about a safety blanket for a young quarterback. Um, so if even, even though you're not getting the quarterback now, if you do get one in two, three, four years, having Kyle Pitts for him to be able to lean on is uh, such an incredible handoff. And, you know, obviously – We are projecting like crazy that Kyle Pitts is going to be a great tight end in this league. And I think when you draft a tight end at number four, it is because you are expecting him to become a great tight end in this league. Um, But I do find it interesting that all the comparisons people are making to, to Kyle Pitts are to wide receivers. They're not to you know, tight ends. They're not comparing him to Tony Gonzalez. They're not comparing him to Rob Gronkowski. We're hearing names like Calvin Johnson and DK Metcalf and Leo Jones, because he is going to force defense coordinators to make bets on every single play. You see him in there. If you put a corner in there to cover him, because you need that speed because of his top end speed. And it's a running play. You're now undersized for that running play. You put a safety or a linebacker on him. Uh, he'll blow past them. Like hey, think, he literally is gonna cause nightmares for defensive coordinators.
0: Think about this, DW. It's third and seven. All right. You're you're mid the Falcons are in midfield. They need a test now. All right. Third and seven. Two by two. You got Julio at X. You got Pitts on the inside of him. You got Ridley at Z. You got Hurst on the inside of him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Shotgun. Guess who's flanking Matt Ryan? Cordero Patterson, what do you do?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: What covers do you run? Want to run yeah. man? You want to run man across the board? All right. You're giving one-on-ones to Julio, Pitts, Ridley, Hearst and some poor middle linebackers got to cover uh, a Swiss Army knife and Cordero Patterson. Okay. You're going to yeah. run cover two? All right. The seams are there for Pitts and, and Hearse on the inside. Good luck, man.
1: You will literally have to have elite (laughs) level players at every single position in the secondary and linebacker.
0: It's going to make defenses change up. So like you're probably on third down, you're probably going to take you're probably going to end up putting more dime packages on the field than you want to against the Falcons. Because of that, to try your hardest to match up against them across the board, it's going to force some. You may end up, you may end up forcing teams to to rush three linemen more than they actually want to because they have to drop eight back in coverage. Yeah, it's going to change up a lot.
1: Yeah, and you know, the, his reach, his catch radius is ridiculous. This guy catches, you know, as Anand was saying, everything thrown in his direction. Did not drop a single pass all of last year you have to go back to his sophomore year to find that time the last time he actually dropped a pass he's only 20 years old he'll turn 21 during the season um i love this pick i I think this is kind of player that fans will be buying his jersey in mass numbers in in two or three years
2: and And that number eight jersey is going to be it's going to be going like hotcakes oh yeah
1: yeah i think it it, it's already started um and i think in five years he is going to be a marquee name in the nfl a a name that you're going to see uh, on the biggest banners, um, because he's going to be that kind of player, and, and that's what you know we're projecting, as there's, everyone is. But
0: yeah. there's there's analysts who's all, who've already said he's a top five tight end right now, and he hasn't even caught a pass. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and, that, well, that, I, I wouldn't go that far, but but, yeah. but that but
0: that goes to show the skill set along with what the league sees at tight end. There's not a lot yeah. of tight ends in the league that can even compare to what he is getting ready to bring to the table, and you already have analysts that are saying. This guy is already in the upper echelon. He hasn't even caught a pass yet. Yeah. So in and, that four-year span that you pointed out, D.W., you're probably talking about possibly the best tight end in the league at that point.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you look at tight end production with the Travis Kelseys, the guys who, you know, really dominate at the top, uh, where they're getting between 800 and a 1,000 yards receiving, it is not uh unreasonable to think that Pitts could be well past that on average uh in, in a couple of years where he's getting wide receiver-esque yardage numbers because his, again, I think the, the comparisons for him are, are better against wide receivers because of what he can do. If you watch his tape from Florida and I watched, you know, a, a collection of clips, uh, this guy runs away from safeties and corners. They don't catch him. And uh, Eric, I think to your point, his four, his 40 time uh, being listed as four four does not feel like that's fast enough. This guy was blowing the doors off of guys uh, so I feel like to your point, it, it realistically, it's probably below four four.
0: Well, let me let me ask you guys a real quick question before we move on to the next player. Rookie rookie season year one. What is a if he doesn't get eight hundred yards this year? Is that a disappointed season for him?
1: Uh, I don't think so because you know Julio Jones I, mean, I think had under nine hundred his rookie year.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, Julio Jones also battled a lot of injuries to his rookie year, but I mean fully healthy it's it's not disappointing because 800 yards for a tight end is still it, it's still a very you know very good number not not a lot of tight ends can get you a thousand yards in in a given season I think about three in the NFL right now over, can but we're talking a top five tight end yeah a top was, five tight end I was taken fourth
0: overall Highest yeah. drafted tight end ever
1: I think the difference here is he's going to, to your point, what you were just describing here, he's going to be on the same field with Calvin Ridley, Julio (laughs) Jones. Like if he gets over 1,000 yards, Matt Ryan may literally break 6,000 yards passing in 2021.
2: And it does depend on the rest of the team's success because if the Falcons are winning 11, 12 games and Julio Jones is going off, Calvin Ridley is getting a career high in yardage. Right and Kyle Pitts has 700 receiving yards, then and right. double-digit touchdowns, and that's an absolutely a successful season. Right. I, I uh, agree. I mean, I, I I don't think he has to get a thousand yards. I don't think yeah, he has to because, crack 900 yeah. yards. But if remember, T- Tony Gonzalez in his entire career in Atlanta <coughs> never reached a thousand receiving yards. Right, and he was I, a Pro Bowler four times, it, an All-Pro one time. It, if he gets seven, eight
0: hundred, maybe you know eight or nine touchdowns, the team's putting up 35, 38 points per game they're winning games, they're, you know, embarrassing defenses.
2: I'm fine with that. Now, a casual fan <laughs> may not be, but I'm fine. With yes. I'll take it. And, yeah. you know, because – and I just wanted to make a quick point. Like, it may not seem fair, the expectations that we're putting on Kyle Fitz's shoulders of, you know, we have to start getting him fitted for a gold jacket right away.
1: Right, right.
2: But it, it comes with the territory of being the highest drafted tight end in NFL history.
1: And frankly, Um, just being a top-five pick,
2: period. Yeah, being a top-five pick and being a pick where the Falcons probably could have gotten a lot in a trade back, And the opportunity cost, that's a lot of opportunity cost uh, given away to take Kyle Pitts. So, yes, I fully expect him to be a perennial pro bowler, a perennial all-pro. Maybe not right away in his first year because, you know, he's still a 20-year-old rookie. But over time, I'm definitely expecting – minimum Darren Waller production.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm also ready for him
2: to embarrass the Saints defense thanks to uh, Cam Jordan's comments. <laughs> yeah. Cam, yeah. Cam Jordan really thinks that Demario Davis can cover him one-on-one.
1: Yeah, good luck with that, Cam. Um, I, I don't know. There's a linebacker or safety in this league that's going to cover him one-on-one the, the only
2: one, The only one that can come, Say that it. comes to mind possibly is Levante David.
1: Yeah. 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 But even then, the, again, six foot six, massive catch radius. Uh, there were times you guys remember the Tony Gonzalez years where uh, Matt Ryan he he had that trust in him. Gonzalez could be covered, and he still threw it to him, knowing that Gonzo would come down with the ball. Um, I want to see if if Ryan and Pitts can develop that kind of connection. That takes a little bit of time, but that is something that. Uh, I I don't think we can uh, underestimate either. I'd
2: definitely like to hear some reports this offseason of him and Matt Ryan working out uh, outside of training camp, the way Austin Hooper and Matt Ryan used to a few years ago, and, you know, just getting that repertoire in.
1: I will be shocked if it doesn't happen uh, at this point, (laughs) knowing our quarterback, knowing, uh, you know, like you guys said, he was probably thrilled to see that the first pick was Pitts and not one of the quarterbacks. Um, I imagine Matt Ryan has probably already booked uh the, yeah. the flight and made sure that he's going to get together with his newest weapon.
2: Yeah. I, I mean Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan's making 23 million dollars this year fly him out. Yeah, so fly, fly him, him out. out <laughs> buy him first class and, yeah, fl- fly him out and uh and, and yeah, get some work in.
1: Yep. All right, uh we could go on I feel like forever on Kyle Pitts. This is he he has the potential to make the Falcons a fun team to watch again uh just by himself um let's talk about the second round pick um uh, eric you wrote about them and in fact you wrote so well about them that nfl gm stole your words from you uh um, former so,
2: nfl gm
1: former nfl gm <laughs> um yeah that's a different story for a different time we, we will not recap that on this podcast um right. but with that second round pick the falcons took safety richie grant out of uh, university of central florida um, I know you were actually pretty excited about this one. I think a lot of people were um, a little confused because there was another safety on the board who they thought the Falcons should take maybe ahead of Grant, right. but right. you disagreed. And I'd love to get your take on why, what, what is it about Richie Grant that makes you think this was a good pick for the Falcons around too?
0: After watching him at the senior bowl um, and watching, you know, some tape on him, I, I thought he was the best safety in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought for sure he had the best instincts of any safety in the draft. Just that one aspect of it. Now, granted, Trayvon Morrig is probably the better overall athlete. Sure. But I've seen Richie Grant for two years or so, um, be that playmaker on that UCF defense. You know, Trayvon Morrig is just now coming into his own a little bit for the TCU, for, for the TCU Horn Frogs last year. Um, so the thing about, um, Richie, that I like the most, of course, the playmaking ability, as I mentioned earlier. The fact right. that you can put him back there, you're playing in the DNP's defense where you're going to see a lot of deep, uh, deep safety, deep center field safety, covering, um, I'm sorry, center field safety. Um, and he can do that. In a, he, he can really do that. He can do a lot of things. He can play deep center field. He can play the slot. He played the boundary. Uh, he got some reps at boundary corner at the CM Bowl. And one of the reps that he had was one on one against Kadarius Tony out of uh, out of Florida. Played off man coverage, undercut Tony, got a pick in the red zone. <laughs> that goes to show you how valuable this guy is. Now he's again, he's probably going to play mostly safety, but if you need in a versatile defense like this. Where there's a lot of interchangeable parts there's a lot of guys moving in different places there's going to be some plays where you know what i richie i need you to play slot here while Harmon takes the center field and i got eric harris roman the uh the intermediate level that's what i need you to do. like you he, he's going to be able to do that for you um, um and i i don't think that's what morick brought to the table again the athleticism was there but i don't think you you can really ask him to cover certain positions or play certain positions um at, at any given time but again the playmaking ability for richie grant The ball skills is there. Um, The one thing I do want to see him clean up at the next level. um, He does take uh, questionable angles, and it leads to big plays behind him. Mm. Um, But that is something that you can, you know, you can, you can teach. You can clean that up at the next level. Um, What you can't teach is the fact that this guy. There's one player in particular. I think they were playing. I think they were playing South Florida. I, he, was, uh, he had a play where he was playing center field, third down, um, ex-receiver ran a go route. He made a break on the ball and covered 30 yards. And he made a break on the ball before the, the quarterback even, you know, pulled the trigger. And by uh-huh. the time he pulled the trigger, Richie had already covered 15 yards. That's the instincts, the anticipation. He knew that pass was coming. He didn't hesitate. He didn't second guess. He made a move, and it paid off. It's something the Falcons have lacked on the back end in years. Um, And I think he's going to definitely bring that
2: and help that defense out a lot in that respect.
1: Adnan, your thoughts on Richie Grant with that second round pick?
2: Yeah, I mean, Richie Grant, this is a name over the past few months on the Falco Live show, other than Kyle Pitts and the quarterbacks, you know, obviously at the very top. Richie Grant is maybe the name we mentioned the most, uh, as a potential day two pick, uh, when looking at the safeties and yeah, he's someone who is incredibly smart when it comes to play recognition. Uh, he has the instincts you, you would kill for to have in your safety. Uh, very good playmaker. Like Eric said, the Falcons have been lacking playmaking in the second uh, or in the secondary, they were lacking it last year. They lacked it a couple of years ago. That player can really go out there and get that game changing turnover. And when rebuilding the secondary, it looks like they've really made a concentrated effort to bring in those playmakers, as evidence, with the Darren Hall pick also in the fourth round. Yeah, Richie Grant's also, he's also a pretty good run defender. You know, PFF graded him out very favorably as uh, on run defense. I mean, he's not known for being like, you know, Keanu Neal out there in the secondary with his tackling. But you know he he can definitely get his hands dirty when it comes to when it comes to that aspect of the game and yeah very very versatile player someone who Dean Pease is gonna really love using and you know no doubt in my mind uh, this is a Dean Pease pick in the second round he had a lot of input with it and with Trayvon Moore don't forget he did fall down draft boards but don't forget that's because he has a back a lingering back issue. Right. And that's that's the reason why he fell as far as he did. So, you know, that's something where you kind of hold you would kind of be holding your breath if uh, if Marg was in the secondary uh, whenever whenever there was a collision.
1: Yeah, Uh, very good point. I forgot about that. Um, One last thing on on Richie Grant, Uh, Dame Brugler, who used to write for SB Nation, is now uh, one of the draft writers for The Athletic. He also had Richie Grant as his top safety on the board, along with Eric Robinson. He loved this pick as well; thought it was good value for the Falcons. Got him. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, Emery Hunt of CBS Sports also had him as the best as his best safety in the draft as well. So it, it was it was a pretty a uh, relative consensus when it comes to how highly thought of Richie Grant was coming into the draft, even with him yep. being a second round pick.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, all right. Third round pick uh, before we go to our break and talk about the day three picks. um, Offensive lineman Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. What's interesting about this guy, again, another really young player. I believe he is also just 20 years old, uh, similar to Cobb Pitts. Um, Only 15 total games played. Uh, His 2020 season did end early because of an injury. Um, But he is a player that uh, I think many people were sort of scratching their head when his name came up. Um, maybe this in this draft class, he's the first name you're thinking, uh, all right, we're going to have to see what the coaching staff does with this guy. Uh, So Adnan, I want to get your thoughts first on Mayfield, uh, how he projects uh, and what your thoughts are on the pick.
2: I mean, Jalen Mayfield, you're talking about a guy who uh, many had projected in the second round. So I think this was one of those BPA type scenarios where he was possibly the best player available on Terry Fontenot's board. And another player, you mentioned it earlier, a lot of versatility. Uh, yeah. He was an offensive tackle at Michigan. And in in the big 12, in the big 10, excuse me, he fought in big 12. I always get the mix up in the big 12. He went up against many, many top tier pass rushers, uh, you know, it's our gross uh, Chase Young. And, it, you know, he he held his own for the most part. Uh, he had a very good season last year. He's someone who I think will be competing for the left guard spot uh, this season. Uh, he he projects when I mentioned the RAS score as a, a tackle, he was pretty poor. He was in, in less than 5.0. But as a guard, he projects above a 7.0. Uh, he was a 4.91 as a tackle. Mm. And he's someone he's someone whom I think will be able to to compete for that left guard position just because it's not really secure. Uh, we're talking about right now, Mad Gono, I think, would be the starter. And he really didn't showcase himself as someone who was very good at left guard last year. I I was looking for (laughs) another adjective, but yeah, he just wasn't very good last year. And, you know, maybe Mayfield isn't isn't a a pristine guard right away from day one, but he's definitely going to have an opportunity to compete and fight for that position. Uh, He's someone who also, I think in the future, maybe someone whom the Falcons can look at In that right tackle position, if Caleb McGarry doesn't improve and if Caleb McGarry doesn't, you know, doesn't live up to that first-round billing, because right now it's no guarantee that McGarry is going to have that fifth-year option picked up. Uh, You know, he's two years in. He was an absolute train wreck disaster in his rookie season, gave up the most sacks in the NFL. Last year he was better, but that's not saying much. Uh, So, you know, definitely I think – There's some names that are are being put on notice uh, on the Falcons active roster, like you mentioned. Uh, It's not just Matt Hennessey. I think Caleb McGarry also, you know, this is maybe a bit of a warning shot to him to, you know, kind of uh, improve, get his act together a little bit at right tackle. Because, you know, just because you're a first round pick uh, with a former regime, that doesn't mean that you have this ironclad job security.
1: Great, great point, um, Eric. Your thoughts on Jalen Mayfield and how he projects?
0: Um, I, it's funny you bring that up, Adman, because while it does address possibly the future at right tackle, I honestly believe that Mayfield is a, a left is a guard at the next level. Um, and the few things that I saw on tape, and, and granted, goes going back to his playing time at Michigan. He did have, you know, a, a carousel of elite athletes to defend at edge rusher. Um, but I, from the footwork aspect, um, that right there alone um, tells me that I'm not quite sure if he can be able to um, be a permanent starter at right tackle because McGarry also has footwork issues. Um, and Mayfield doesn't have the greatest length. Well, McGarry doesn't have the greatest length also so i'm not now granted these are teachable these are traits that are that can be polished and and you can improve on at the next level with proper coaching um but i think right now the way he's graded out you take that ras score that we mentioned earlier the way he's graded out i think he's probably better suited at guard um than right tackle in my opinion i think that's what we're going to see from him now i will say this i 'm not expecting a whole lot from him in year one. I think twenty twenty two is when you're going to see a more refined ready to go Jalen Mayfield is probably going to be a starter left guard. I will say this also his presence helps the run game. this guy's a road grader this guy's finished blocks. I would not be surprised if throughout Jalen Mayfield's career he gets some penalties because he's blocking past the whistle he's <laughs> that type of blocker and again. The Falcons kind of sort of need that because, let's just be quite honest, they are a little soft on
2: the offensive line the past few years.
0: Um, They've been
2: soft on the offensive (laughs) line since 2013. But, no, no, uh, and I I just want to make a point. I think the plan, the ideal plan, is for McGarry to work out at right tackle and for him to be the left guard of the future. Yeah. To to, uh, slot in and to be that uh, great left guard uh, moving forward. But, you know, I'm just saying... Just in case it doesn't happen, then you have that contingency plan in your back pocket.
0: At the very least, it it, it probably scares McGarry a little bit. I'm with you on that. It, at the very least, you know, Mayfield just kind of looking over his shoulder during meetings and stuff like that, it probably reminds McGarry, like, your job isn't safe, yeah. which we may see better play out of it because of it. But, again, I think Mayfield is going to – transition to guard. And again, I think his presence on the interior right now, he's a better run blocker than his pass protector. And again, I think he is really going to help that aspect out alone. He's going to give him some attitude, which this team desperately needs. Um, And and I I like it. At 68 overall, Daniel Jeremiah had him ranked as a top 25 player.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: So that goes to show you where, how highly thought of he was as well. And to get him at 68, excellent value.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, Anand, you said it. this this feels like a BPA pick based on you know several boards and, and more, most importantly, based on Fontenot's board. So uh, we'll certainly see how this plays out. Uh, he'll be a name. We'll definitely be watching in camp to see uh, how he comes along. So before we talk about the guys they picked up on day three, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com.
1: We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. I am joined by my fellow Falcoholic writers, Eric Robinson and Adnan Ikich. We're talking about the Falcons draft class. We talked about days one and two in the first half. We're going to finish up by talking about day three, the fourth, fifth, and sixth round, where the Falcons had six additional picks. Um, And Incidentally, I I failed to mention this in the first half, but um, the second round pick, Richie Grant, was actually after the Falcons had traded back. They, they traded back with the Denver Broncos. Um, Eric, you and I had talked about that uh, multiple times. We felt like a, a trade in the second round was more likely than the trade in the first round. And Of course, that right. ended up materializing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ended up giving the Falcons an additional fourth-round pick, which we will talk about here in just a second. Um, so let's, let's do that. Let's jump right into day three. Uh, the first of their two picks in the fourth round, their original fourth-round pick, they took cornerback Darren Hall out of San Diego State. Um, so Eric, I'm going to go to you here first on this one. What are your thoughts on Darren Hall uh, picking him up in the fourth round?
0: Darren Hall was the one player that I mocked on my last mock draft at the Falcons really, hit. yeah. I had him going in the fifth, but I, I I felt like he was a player for them for you know from the start, playmaker again at corner. You go back. And you look at his tape, you look at his numbers, his production. The guy was always around the ball. He is such a natural when it comes to making plays on the ball. And I tweeted out about it earlier today. And don't take it as far. Don't take it and run with it. He does remind me a little bit of Robert Offer. But hmm. in terms of just the athleticism and the frame, he's not as handsy. He's not as grabby as... <laughs> Robert Offer was, that is for sure. So you can so you can you can breathe a little sigh of relief there. He's not going to be that type of player at the next level. But the ball skills, the production is there. This guy can play man, he can play zone. You, and, and to be quite honest with you, I wouldn't want him playing it all the time, but he can give a couple plays or two a game at the slot position, depending on who the matchup is. Um, but you want his playmaking ability on the field. And again, I brought a lot. Well, we brought this up on day three as well. Because of the type of defense that DMPs is going to have, they're going to blitz. They're going to be physical. They're going to get after the quarterback up front. So, what you need on that back end, you need guys that are able to make a play when the ball is in the air. Because yep. what you're going to see now with this defense, you're probably going to see some bad passes some errant throws, some overthrows, some rush throws. So you need now, you need those defenders that are on that back end that are ready to turn into receivers when the ball is in the air. And that's what they got with Darren Hall and Richie Grant.
1: Love it. Um, Adnan, your thoughts on Darren Hall?
2: Speaking of making plays, Darren Hall led the FBS with 16 pass breakups this past season. He's someone who gets into the right place at the right time, someone who will absolutely compete on those 50-50 balls. And, yeah, uh, I mentioned it with Richard Grant, and we talked about it uh, many times, just about uh, the team not having those playmakers in the secondary last year and just how much of a hindrance it was when, you know, how many times did it happen last season where, you know, you're thinking, man, if the defense can only – can make one play if if the secondary can get one interception we'll be so much better for it we'll have such a better opportunity we'll have yeah you know we just need this momentum swinging play that just never happened the only time I remember it happening was in in that Carolina game with Bleedy Ray Wilson of all people uh getting that big interception to close the game out well the Falcons are building it up well with the secondary right now you have AJ Terrell and you're adding to him with Darren Hall you're adding to him with Richie Grant um yeah absolutely he's someone who will go out there and you know I wish I wish I could articulate this better I wish I could be more eloquent than just saying that he's going to go out there and he's going to make a play for you but you know simplicity is the greatest sophistication with this and there's no better way of putting it uh he's someone who's incredibly versatile He's uh, very physical. Uh, also, a, a very good run defender, and this is something that I'm noticing, you know, in a trend with with both Grant and Hall. You know, they want they want guys who can go out there and who can, you know, get their hands dirty, who can uh, stop, uh, who can get a nice tackle, who will help in the run game. You know, these are players with layers to their games. It's not just uh, it's not just one dimension. So you know a very physical guy. He's five uh, foot eleven, hundred eighty eight pounds, a good size, and an RAS score of above eight. So I'm I'm very excited about uh the future for Darren Hall. I definitely think he has a future as the second cornerback opposite on the opposite field on the opposite end of the field in AJ Terrell. This I think is is a future starter for the Falcons.
1: Excellent. Great value there. Um, so continuing our talk on fourth round picks, um, the pick that they got from the Denver Broncos for moving back in the second round uh, was uh, offensive guard slash center Drew Dahlman out of Stanford. Adman, you talked a little bit about him earlier in his RAS score. So what is it that fans should know about this guy? And, and why are you excited about the Falcons picking him up in the fourth round?
2: Well the only offensive lineman I think who had a higher RAS score than Drew Dahlman was Creed Humphrey who <laughs> went I think in the second round and Creed Humphrey's RAS score was a 10.0. He was absolutely like <laughs> Holy cow. like uh, yeah absolutely otherworldly like 100th percentile. Uh but yeah Drew Dahlman, I think is someone he needs to build up his strength a little bit. He needs to he needs to get a bit heavier. He's un, under three hundred pounds, and I think that's the one saving grace for Matt Hennessy: the fact that Drew Dolman physically needs to get a bit bigger before before the team will probably be comfortable making him the everyday starting center. But definitely, uh, someone with some good technique, uh, someone with some good footwork. Uh, uh he's constantly constantly looking for someone to block uh he's n- he's never gonna be idle uh, if he if he doesn't have uh someone coming right at him he's gonna find uh someone he's gonna be able to help out his fellow offensive linemen. uh he has good bend and definitely Matt Hennessy isn't secure matt Hennessy had a, mm-hmm. a very rough rookie season i think his PFF pass blocking grade was something horrendous, like a 28 point something. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, He had an opportunity as a, the starting left guard, but he was so bad in that position that he was benched effectively. Um, and when he did get his opportunity at center when Alex Mack was injured, he really didn't do anything to stand out. So I think Hennessy has, you know, he has one more year to really prove himself. And if not, Drew Dahlman is waiting in the shadows. I think this is more of a 2022 pick, but definitely the athleticism is something that completely jumps out at you in a 9.9 RAS score. That's 99th percentile. He's he's someone with, with a high ceiling because of that. Uh, it's just he's not ready. He probably won't be ready for, from day one.
1: Yeah, um, but definitely love the athleticism here. Um Let's move on to the fifth round pick. Uh, Eric, I want to get your take on the defensive lineman out of Texas with the first of three fifth round picks for the Falcons. They took uh, Taquan Graham uh, out of uh, the university of Texas. So your thoughts on how he projects and what you think he may do for this Falcons defense.
0: He's definitely going to project as a likely five tech defensive end for this defense. Um, And I, early on, I don't expect him to really be um, – well, yeah, I definitely don't expect him to be a starter. He's He could definitely play himself into a rotational role this year. Right. Um, but, again, he is another athletic um, athletic specimen at defensive tackle. I think he's roughly a little bit north of 300 pounds. I think he's like 6'3", 6'4". I, I, I don't have his numbers right here in front of me, but I will pull them up for you. Just um, under played, 300.
1: Two, he was at 292.
0: Two ninety two. Okay. Well, yeah. He he definitely uh, he, he's definitely uh, probably going to be around three hundred once the once the Falcons start playing this year. But uh, but yeah, he's another athletic guy. Um, really quick get off. Um, able, played a lot of three tech, of course, at Texas in their four three scheme. Um, but the one thing about him, uh, the inconsistency. You know, you may he may have a few plays in a certain game where he's looking like, man, he's he looks unblockable. And there are some games where you didn't even know he was playing. You, you thought he was injured, but he's out there. He's just not really making a play. Um, that is what you get out of Taequann Graham at this point. Again, athletic guy, um, almost 35 uh, inch arms, which is impressive. Hands are baseball mitts. Um, <laughs> but again, he he has he he has the raw, uh, intangibles that you look for for a fifth rounder. Now yeah. you just need that right seasoning, which is the coaching. Now you you need that Dean Pease, you need that Just Simpson to say, hey, this is what we need to work on. We're going to coach you up. You're going to be a player going forward. So that's what they're going to get out of take on Graham. Um, and, and I think he can, again, just the raw athleticism alone, I think he can definitely play himself into a rotational role this year. And I would not be surprised, honestly, if he's, if he's pushing for a starting spot in 2022.
1: Yeah. And I think the one thing they mentioned about him that you just highlighted was uh, the length. This guy's got mm-hmm. long arms and um, which is something that in the past, the Falcons didn't put a lot of emphasis on. And it seems like something that they're, uh, leaning back towards now under this new regime, which is good to see because uh, I, I think we've seen uh, throughout the years that the guys who are on the front line they have to have that length. They, you know, yeah. there there are exceptions. If you've got a Grady Jarrett, even though he's shorter, um, but Grady Jarrett is sort of a freak of nature in the in you know not someone that you, it should be your consistent draft profile. For someone that you're looking for to bring down the uh, the quarterback from the interior,
2: he, um,
0: it, one thing that he does well that I also love and and I think is go, it goes unappreciated from defensive lineman. Man, he knows how to use his hands, and that yeah. is one trait that I absolutely love from defensive lineman. It's one of the first things I look for because you can you can have the strength, you can have the leg drive, but if you don't know how to use your hands you're not going to go anywhere if we're being quite honest. You're going to be one-dimensional as a pass rusher, but he knows how to use his hands. He knows how to get inside of an of a, uh, offensive lineman's um, um, frame, and he knows how to win as well leverage with that particular aspect. So that's what I like about
1: him. Yeah. All right. Uh, with the second pick in the fifth round, again, of three, uh, the Falcons uh, had in this round, they took uh, defensive end out of Notre Dame, Kumbo. Ogundeji, Deji.
0: You got it. So, no, that, I'm not going to try it.
1: So, <laughs> we're going to have to ask him for a nickname uh when <laughs> it comes time. Uh, in the same way that Foyer gave us, you know, Foyer uh, Alucan gave us Foyer uh, to use instead. I think um, a day,
0: I think a day is like a shortened first name form like A B A B E. I've seen that shortened a lot
2: for him. So, yeah, I, that's, I, 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 I'm definitely willing to learn it. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, I, I'm definitely, it, it, it's a beautiful name. You know, it, it's, it, it's a wonderful name. I'm definitely willing to. Oh, absolutely. It's an even better name.
0: When he's bringing down quarterbacks.
2: That's yeah, what you absolutely. really want to call it. Yeah. Yes. And- yeah, <laughs> it, 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 if he, if he doesn't want to go the nickname route, I, I will definitely learn it and I will call him. A
1: hundred percent.
2: I'd a to it will eventually roll off the tongue. It will eventually roll off the yes. tongue. Yes. The, the more plays he makes, the more it will roll off the tongue, too.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, so, Adnan, uh, you, you've uh, been practicing his name. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, this player and, and why you think he's going to be a, a decent fit in what Dean Pease wants to
2: do? I think he can play both the 4-3 and the 3-4. And we know just how valued that is in a Dean Pease defense. Dean Pease does not uh, box himself into one specific scheme. He will throw different looks at opposing offenses. And one thing that I really like about Dean Pease's philosophy is he adjusts his defense to his player's strengths. As opposed to, you know, what we saw, for example, with Dan Quinn, which was, you know, we're going to run this specific defense. And when we run this specific defense, uh, this cover two, rushing four, we need to bring in players who will adjust to the scheme as opposed to the other way around. And as a result, it's kind of impossible to go very much BPA with defense because of that. But, I think. Uh, o- o- Ogundeji, Ogundeji. Will you know he's someone who uh he he's a very good size uh, two hundred sixty pounds, over six foot four, mm-hmm. has very long arms. He led Notre Dame with seven sacks last year, and another player who is a pretty good playmaker as well. He forced some turnovers, forced three fumbles. Uh, has can have a very prolific bull rush move but he definitely needs to work on his uh, other pass rushing moves. His technique isn't isn't all there yet, but this is definitely something where, you know, DPs and the defensive coaches, you know, they'll be working with him throughout training camp. They'll be working with him throughout uh, the early stages of his career at developing uh, those pass rush, rush uh traits don't think he's someone who is gonna really start anytime soon uh he's someone who's gonna come in as uh, a rotational type piece and right. you know it, it helps that he's so versatile and can play in in so many different schemes because that'll help him get on the field more but hope uh, all i all i'll say is hopefully he'll uh he'll have more success learning secondary moves than Vic Beasley did in his time that the
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, you just had to do a Vic Beasley name drop I a, on five. I,
0: I got a name for you real quick, and, and I, like to, I like to dig in coaches' history. And uh, when Dean Peeves was in Baltimore, he had a player that I think has some similarity to Oakland DeJay, uh, Chris Canty. Mm. The 3-4 defensive end, 6-7, a little bit over – a little north of three – 300, I think he was around 315, but he was also known as kind of sort of like a run-stuffing, 3-4 defensive end edge type guy, not really known for his pass from the pass rushing ability, but he saw the field a lot because of his ability to hold, to anchor as a defensive end. I think that's what – I think that's a ceiling for Ogun DeJay going forward.
2: That would be a pretty yeah. good ceiling for a mid-fifth rounder, or excuse yeah. me, a very late fifth rounder. I think yeah. that was a comp pick.
0: Yeah. Canty was a fourth.
2: Yeah. So, so.
1: Uh, and again, that is Kubo. Oh, and
2: and uh, speaking of Vic Beasley, we actually <laughs> drafted him with that comp pick that we got for Vic Beasley.
1: Oh, how about that? <laughs> he is, the comparison is, is a, direct, a direct one. He is literally um, the shout, replacement.
2: Shout out to the uh, Titans for paying Beasley all that money. How many more times do we have to talk about this guy, man? Yeah,
0: it just leaves a.
2: I will never stop. All
1: right, we're going to move on to the last fifth round pick, Eric. I want to ask you about this guy because uh, he's getting a little bit of attention, and I think um, maybe for something that fans don't always think about, and that's special teams. But out of Boise State, um, cornerback Avery Williams, Uh, and he is someone that uh, I think Arthur Smith seemed. Pretty excited about how he could be used, not just on defense, not just on special teams. He actually intimated that this guy could potentially see the field on offense. So what are your thoughts on Avery Williams and his potential future with the Falcons?
0: Fast. 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 You get <laughs> one edge. If he has open field, it's a house call nine special teams test downs over his career. And that includes not only kick returns, not only punt returns, but it also includes a block punt return for a test down. Uh, so at the very least, you're getting a possible special teams ace, which, you know, at in, at the end of the fifth round, like, come on, like, come on guys, really? Like, you're getting a guy that could possibly make the Pro Bowl or make the Pro Bowl as a special teamer. Um, the guy... I, I'm, I'm waiting to see what pops off on film as a DB. I haven't really seen a whole lot, but again, from the aspect of special teams, this is a really, really good pick. And again, we talked about this on our show on day three. This is where you can really appreciate Fontenot, the front office and his coaching staff, because getting a guy like Cordero Patterson, getting a guy like Avery Williams, they're obviously p- placing an emphasis on special teams this year. Right they're obviously p- placing an emphasis on return yards, which are really, those are hidden yards in a mm-hmm. box score. No one checks a box score to see, man, how many rush, how many return yards did this guy have again? No one cares unless he takes it back for a test now. But when you had an offense that was one of the worst in the league and started position last year, that's where Patterson and Williams comes into play. So now when you got a play caller like Arthur Smith, you don't have to, you, you may not have to worry about, Um, watching Matt Ryan take the ball from the 20 over and over and over again. Now you get to put this lethal offense on the field, and they may be starting at midfield, which is always, always uh, a a pleasant, pleasantry for the offense when they take the field. They love (laughs) to start at the 50. Hell yeah, we can score from there. Let's do it. Um, But again, that aspect alone, um, I think that's where Avery Williams is going to come in, and he's going to be – it's going to be an asset for them going forward. Just just keep an eye on it going forward. I think the special teams is really getting a boost this offseason
2: thanks to Patterson and thanks to the drafting of Avery. And, and going from uh Brandon Powell to uh, to Willis, right. that's right? Right. You're not just otherworldly. You're not just. A guy,
0: you're not just putting a guy back there that just says, "Hey, man, just cast the ball, please. I don't care if it's at the two. No, you don't want him to cast the ball at the two. Yeah. I, those day, those days of Eric Weems are gone because they have capable. <laughs> They have capable. They haven't had a a, a real threat of return
2: returner since Hester.
0: Yeah, yeah, now they have two.
2: And those days with Eric Weems, we were still starting from the one plenty of times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, this is going to be fun. And I think uh, Eric, to your points at the top of the podcast, they're getting a lot of guys with that athleticism, with uh, you know the the ability to become more. And it'll be interesting to see how he develops. Uh, obviously fifth round pick uh, it's, you know, there's no guarantee that this guy's going to turn into anything, but at least you like what you see in the measurables. You like what you see that he can contribute on the special teams. Um, and, you know, to be blunt, you know, the Falcons really found one a couple of years ago in the sixth round with a special teams guy that they drafted in, in Russell Gage. So let's hope that Williams turns out similarly. Uh, all right. Last pick in the sixth round, incidentally, these Speaking last, of Russell Gates. Yeah, these last three <clears throat> picks all happened, 182, 183, 187, because um, the, the two fifth-round picks were comp picks, and then the sixth-round pick was the Falcons' remaining uh, pick from the top of the sixth round. So they,
2: I know all too well, DW. I was writing these picks up, <laughs> and I made a joke that I did more writing in those five minutes than I did in the last month.
1: Oh, I have no doubt, man, in which you did a fantastic job for the site. Um, With uh, pick 187 in round six out of Arizona State, uh, the Falcons took wide receiver Frank Darby. So, Adnan, tell us what you know about him and what the Falcons fans should look forward to in 2021.
2: Well, this is the pick where I remember on the live show, this was the one where Eric's eyes just lit up when it was announced (laughs) that uh, Frank Darby was was selected. Uh, Big, big play threat. Uh, he's averaged 19.9 yards per catch last year, 20 yards per catch the year before. And that's really interesting because he's not real. He doesn't have that blazing fast speed that you would think, uh, someone who who's averaging so many yards per reception would be known for. Like he doesn't have a, an Avery Williams type speed, but he is someone who is very savvy. He's someone who will compete for those 50, 50 balls, uh, he has some has some drop issues, so you know he'll definitely need to clean that up. He'll need to work with some of those receiving coaches. I'd like for uh, the Falcons to bring in Tony Gonzalez to maybe work with him on uh, using his hands to catch the ball. Uh, in the scouting report, it says that he he tries to catch with his body a lot, so definitely bringing in uh, someone like a Roddy White, uh, Tony Gonzalez for some mentorship when it comes to that eccentric personality like you know he he's going to be he's going to be a go-to for interviews he's, oh, he's going to yeah. give some nice sound bites but definitely someone where uh, i remember and i quoted erica uh, in, in the article uh talking writing up the pick eric said that he could possibly give russell gage a run for his money as the team's number three wide receiver moving forward
1: wow all right well we'll have to see how that plays out uh, and honestly, you know, under Arthur Smith, wide receiver three is not a premium position uh, like it would be in other offenses. Actually uh, in 2020, Arthur Smith's offense, the number four uh, most targeted player was their second tight end. So you had the two receivers, Anthony uh, that's right. Uh, and the, the two tight ends. So you, those were your four biggest uh, uh, targets, the, the third wide receiver on the roster uh, just didn't register that much, but, Again, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out here in Atlanta. Things could be different. Different set of talent. I'm sure Arthur Smith will will you know try to take advantage of what he can. Um, he, all right.
0: That yep, said, yep. can I add something real quick? Absolutely. I want, I really want I really want the fans to understand. Like I was really excited about this pick. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably the day. This is probably the one day three pick where I was really hyped about. 28 games played in his collegiate career. He had nine games of at least three catches with 16 yards per catch Ooh. With, the, with those, with those receptions. His last his in 2019, I'm looking at it right now. One, two, three, four. He had four games over the last four of his last five games. He, he had at least 18 yards per reception in those games. <laughs> when I say big plate threat, like, that's what I mean. Big – that's all he's known for. He's a one-trick pony right now. But in this offense, where everybody's so concentrated on Julio and Pitts and Ridley, you got a guy that can really take it. He can really stress the defense. And there's – it's not it's, – it's, I honestly feel going for it. He doesn't have the speed. Um, he's – again, he's not the greatest rock runner in the world. But what he does, he stretches the defenses, he makes the best of his catches, and he wins a fair share of one-on-one balls for a guy that's only six feet and roughly 200 pounds. He can go get those 50-50 balls. Um, yeah, I, I'm i excited about this one. Just the big – I really do think Russell Gaze needs to watch his back as well.
1: Wow. Uh, yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Um, and that is the Falcons draft class. So just one thing I want to point out um, – Dave had written an article asking our readers to give their feedback on what they thought of this draft class. 49% gave it a B 31% gave it an A, which means 80% of our readers felt like uh, this was uh, a, a good draft class. So with that, um, Eric, I'm going to ask you what you think about this draft class in comparison to yeah. our
0: readers. Um, I'll say, a, I'll say a B. Okay. I'll say abi B. A You're right there B. with them. Yeah, it was, a. It was a uh, I think, was it Dane Brugler that had it at a, as a top 10 overall yeah. class? Yep, had he a sure tenth Overall. Um, I think there was, I can't think of the name from Draft Network, but they also gave it an A+. Trevor Sikama thought really highly of this class. And I think he gave him an A as well. Um, I would say a B. And the reason why I would say a B overall is because, Yes, this is a more athletic Falcons team right now because of this draft class. But at those particular positions, I thought that there were better prospects at those particular positions. Mm. I, do, I do like what Dalman brings um, to the plate, but I do think there were a couple better center prospects on the board better than Dalman. Same with Mayfield. I like what Mayfield can do, gave him great value at 68, but there was, there was a couple guys on the board that I would have targeted. That were probably more natural fits at left guard than Jalen Mayfield. So um again, I'm not gonna knock him for that. Kyle Pitts, home run pick. Richie Grant, playmaker. I love Frank Darby. I think team, I think fans are gonna love Frank Darby in a year. Um and and I think he's gonna be one of those hidden gems um on a team like this. Uh Darren Hall, playmaker. Love it. Um also I do kind of sort of wish they would address Edge a little earlier. Yeah, yeah. They didn't All take right. one until late in the
1: fifth round. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, there's always next year's draft. So. <laughs>
0: right. It's right. a good um, edge class.
1: Yeah, uh, hopefully. Uh, Adnan, your thoughts on this draft class as we wrap up this podcast?
2: Well, we got nine starters, so, you know, I can't give it anything <laughs> below an A. But no, um, I, I'll also go with the B. Uh, you know, it's very good, very good first two days uh, I like the picks on day three as well it's just it's, we may not get as much contribution as you'd like to see from a team that's you know clearly going into a win- now mode uh, probably won't be as much day one contribution mm-hmm. as uh, we would have liked to see just because because you know that Arthur Smith was pounding the table for Kyle Pitts and I'm pretty sure that Arthur Smith said I can get this team to the playoffs if if you give me Kyle Pitts with this pick so, because of that draft pick, I'm expecting nothing less than at least a wild card ex- uh, appearance this year. I think anything short of that would be a failure, you know, not to mention words. But, uh, yeah, no pressure. I, one thing, no pressure, but you know, a little bit of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that I really enjoyed seeing was they came in with a plan and they stuck to it. They went with yes. these very athletic guys. They went with playmakers. And you know that was the prevailing theme of this draft class. They went in looking to rebuild the offense, looking to rebuild the trenches, and it's something that both Arthur Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot talked about uh, leading up to the draft. You know the trenches are incredibly important, and they spent what three, four picks on the trench. Four picks uh, within four picks. the trenches. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you know they went BPA uh, like they said they would. I Kyle Pitts was the best player available. I think Jalen Mayfield was their BPA uh, in round three. So you know it's definitely something that I, I'm looking forward to looking at and cross referencing in future years when it comes to how important will those trenches be, how important will that RAS be, and how important will it be to get guys who are just who are bona fide playmakers at the college game.
1: Yeah. Yep. And this is uh. This is going to be interesting. This is the, the first draft for Fontenot. Um, one thing I do want to address uh, as a final point about this draft class, a lot of people thought the Falcons were definitely going to grab a running back in um, I- at least day three, um, and it didn't happen. And Fontenot actually said in their press conference that uh, the their board just didn't play out that way. Um, so instead of reaching for a running back that maybe was lower graded on their board. They just went, went with the best players they had. And that meant that they did not draft a single running back. That was after letting Edo Smith go. Um, they did get some guys uh, in free agency. I don't want to talk about that on this podcast. We'll address that in the future. Um, but I do think, uh, to your point, Adnan, they, they stuck to their guns. And in some cases, that meant that positions where they really, you know, arguably needed to address it, didn't get addressed in the draft because that is not their philosophy they do not draft for need they're drafting best available uh, and I think we saw that so kudos to them for sticking to it hopefully this will remain the case because you know to be blunt we we had 13 years of watching a GM uh, draft for need and we saw what that landed us over time and I think that's um, you know, you when you get it right with guys like Julio Jones and, and Matt Ryan, you, you end up with potential you know, Hall of Famers. When you get it wrong, you end up with guys that, you know, burn out on the roster like Pete Cons and and just don't end up turning into anything
0: in the NFL. So Des Southward.
1: And Desmond Southward, right. And uh, uh Lamar Holmes and oh my of god, this course. this could, could go on and on. I think we could
2: go on for another hour. <laughs> We could go uh, on for another hour if this is the exercise. Yeah,
1: we're, we're going to have a podcast just on who is the worst draft pick of the Dimitrov era. <laughs> oh, that, oh, man,
2: that's going to be a long
0: one.
1: Yeah, that would be like four hours. All right. Mm. So with that, guys, I appreciate you both joining me. Um, enjoyed talking about this draft class. We're obviously going to cover it more at Uh So, Eric, I'll start with you. Remind our listeners where they can find you, what you have going on.
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Eric underscore Robinson. Right now, I am working on a friend Darby scouting report. Uh, I'll have that done over the next day or two. And after that, on the slate, I'm working on a film review of Richie Grant. Um, and I'm going to have some fun with that one. That's, I'm going to really enjoy that one. Um, in the meantime, hop on the Falcoholic.com. Check out my scouting report on Richie Grant. Check out everything on the yes. Falcoholic site, man. We cover all the bases and, and I want to um, tip my cap to the entire staff at the Falcon College this past draft weekend. We killed it. Um, site reviews went up. Yes. Followers on Twitter went up. Um, it, it, we, we really covered all the bases. We dot all the I's crossed all the T's in this draft. And I think we did a hell of a job and, and I'm, I'm proud to be part of a team like this.
1: 100% agree with that completely. Um, Adnan, Remind our listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Say Which way, and uh, definitely check out the Falcoholic overall. You know, I'm always very impressed by, you know, the entire team when it comes to draft weekend. It's like a completely well-oiled machine just throughout the entire weekend. It's a full marathon and everyone everyone just does such a great job with it. And, you know, I think the proof is in the pudding and the results are showing uh with the side traffic going up so much i think people are really enjoying uh what what we do and you know we do it for the people if the people weren't there then we wouldn't be doing it um yeah i have a a pretty fun uh dead zone article series coming up pretty soon which uh will start going pretty soon so you know be on the lookout for that I'm also I'm also glad they finally allowed us to eat after three days. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, we were down to skin and bones. Uh, yeah, we were, we were, yeah, we yeah, were, we were.
1: It was it was getting pretty dire over in the the Falcoholic Dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: he, he he finally unchained me from the radiator at the end of, uh, at the, end of the day three, show. but not before seeing for sure whether or not we were gonna have a seventh round pick.
1: Yeah, I, I, I do have to let you know, Gina was pounding the table for you to be unchained from a radiator, so she was underside side on that. Um, the rest of us, less so. Um, all right, guys, as for me, you can find me on Twitter, at FalcoholicDW, updates for this pack, podcast, at FalcoholicPod. And as the guys mentioned already, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Adnan Itich and Eric Robinson, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.